The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. This morning's scripture reading comes from John 16, 1 through 15. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when the hour comes, you may remember that I have told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Well, good morning. Good morning. Hi, y'all there? my name is Stacy Croft. I'm the pastor here at Christ Pres Music Row, and um, hope I get to meet you. If I haven't met you already, welcome. If you're visiting and um, new with us, and uh, would love to grab some time with you and connect and hang out. You know, um, I don't know if you are somebody who's uh, read anything about what are called martyrs of the Christian faith. There's actually a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. Uh, a guy named Fox who wrote this book. And um, it's a, a, you know, a huge work on that. But what martyrdom really is, is those who've actually given their life, literally, uh, de- you, know, you know, dying for the faith. And I don't know if you've ever read any of those, maybe when in school or in, in, uh, just on your own, but those have always been um, incredible, powerful narratives for me, uh, reading, because they just make me very aware of uh, the conviction and in, in, in love uh, that these have for the Lord, but also my comforts and how I live and in a time that I'm not pressed in the way that they are uh, with my life. And, um, and yet, gosh, even today, there are people around the world that are in, in that kind of moment, not just, these aren't just past things. But um, some of the stories, though, that you may have read or may not have read, I don't know. The uh, Book of Common Prayer we use actually regularly in our service. There's a man named Thomas Cranmer who wrote that, and <clears throat> it's used in Anglican Episcopal services as well. It's a beautiful book, and, but part of his story was his waffling of faith, um, and particularly at the end of his life when 
he uh, felt convicted that he was going to follow the Lord Jesus in this line of truth. And even certain religious leaders at that time decided they were going to put him at the stake. The hand that signed all of those documents uh, that were recantations of saying, okay, I won't, I won't, or I will, or I won't, or I will. He said he put it in the fire first to burn. And, and as he, it was burning, he said, this hand that offended you, God, first shall be taken and just you can hear stories like that are so powerful. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is probably one that's uh, the closest to our time period in the 40s. A German theologian, thinker, uh, a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was actually in on some plots to assassinate Hitler, uh, was a Christian, and um, was uh, captured and put in prison and, and actually wrote a number of books while he was in prison, created uh, underground seminary and these kind of things. It was said, though, in the, as the months, it was actually overlapping the months of when the Allied forces freed uh, the um, captives from and, uh, and won the war, uh, that he was actually uh, on trial and was hanged uh, in the gallows. The, the doctor who oversaw his hanging said that as he watched this man kneel to pray, walk up, and, and then was hanged, that he had... He had never seen someone with their life so committed to the will of God. I mean, just you hear these kind of stories and you just go, golly, that's just profound, you know? But here's the thing that, that I have to back up and think about. If we were to ask any of those that actually gave their life uh, literally for the Lord Jesus, they probably wouldn't talk about uh, the harsh things they went through. What they would talk about is what carried them through. What they would talk about is not what's around them or who, about them, but who lives in them. You know, Jesus says this here in this very, very beginning, and he, talk, it, he talks about you falling away, and the synagogues will put you out, and the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think they're giving a service to God, that these religious followers will, will be thinking that they're serving God by taking your life. And so in their minds, I mean, gosh, what are they thinking? But how does he encourage them? How does he instruct them? He instructs them not by taking courage and, and how you can be strong in and of yourself, but who is with you and not only with you, but who is going to be in you and never leave you. That is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit today. You know, we've, we've entered into this uh, discourse. It's called the Upper Room Discourse. It's these, these chapters selected in John, the Gospel of John, where Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all write about it. But John takes the time to slow down and really let us experience what the conversation was about. Really let us feel what the room was like. You, you see it here, the sorrow. In fact, if you've, if you've heard or listened along the way, the podcast or whatever, you would hear that this is not the first time he's talked about leaving and nor has he talked about the sorrow in their hearts. That they, the, the room feels just overwhelmed because the, the teacher that has walked with them for years is talking about leaving and they're sad. Who's gonna be with them? How's it going to happen? And this discourse that John slows down and gives us a, a picture of is, is how does Jesus instruct his disciples to live? Especially in a room like ours, we're in a, <clears throat> you're in a church, you're um, 
If you're here and you say, I would consider myself a Christian, what you're actually saying is I'm a Christ follower. Now, I don't know if you, you know what, what Jesus is saying. What does it really mean to follow him? Isn't all of the stuff that we think of, of like, you're here, you made it, you're in church, uh, or just reading the Bible or prayer, there's, there's more to that. Those are the, the, the outward fruits, the doings. But how, does that, how is that effective? Like, is it just, okay, I've decided to follow Jesus? I mean, if you think about it for a second, and we're gonna talk about this in the beginning and end, what we're talking about is a highly unusual, strange thing. That we open up an ancient book every week, (laughs) we talk about a really old person from another country who has no relation to us at all, and yet we have decided we're gonna really live our lives around this. How do we do that? What does that look like? So this morning, we're going to look at how Jesus encourages his disciples in that room, and then thus us as those who come after, with two things just about the Holy Spirit, the one that's going to come after him, who is with us. Who's being sent, and what does he do? Those two questions we're going to answer. Who is being sent in this helper, the Holy Spirit? We've kind of looked at and talked about him a little bit already, but also, what will he do? What will he do? So who's being sent? In verse four, it says, but I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go. For if I do not go, the helper will not come to you. Again, all this discussion about him coming, going, and and there's sorrow in them. And yet his words to them are this. It is for your good. It is to your advantage that I go. I do want to step back into this moment of thinking, can you imagine being the disciples? We live in a moment where we don't see Jesus, right? But they had the opportunity to be with him physically. Even in this very meal, John is leaning against him. They get to touch him. They get to ask him the questions. They get to say, Jesus, I don't understand. You're saying a parable about this? I have no idea what that means. What does this mean for our life? (laughs) They They get to see Jesus pray to his father and feed 5,000 people. Their faith in that moment is is so overwhelmed with the senses of what Jesus is about physically, right? And isn't that what so many of us, gosh, wish we had sometimes, is Jesus, could you just kind of be here? Could we just kind of have a little bit of that moment? And yet he's saying, it is to your advantage that I go. It is to your good for them. And we've talked a little bit about this, but why? Why is it good that he goes? The first really main thing is that they wouldn't be so dependent on Jesus in body. He is physical, he's tangible. But if you think about why does Jesus have to do that, he had to take on the limitations of that. And with those limitations in his body, there's a difference between how is the good news of the gospel gonna be spread It's going to be spread different than that. Jesus is limited in who he is. And here's the thing about that. In that moment, it is a with ministry. Jesus is with them. 
But what Jesus is trying to tell them, the helper will come to you. It becomes, it moves from being a with you ministry to an in you ministry. And this is very profound. That it's not just that Jesus is with and around them and speaking to them, but that the third person of the Trinity will come, the helper, which is a hard word to translate. But the advocate, that is Jesus, spirit through this advocate will come in you, reside in where you need it, and will never leave you. That's a very different thing. That's a very different thing to have the spirit in you than just around. I know with uh, my older son particularly, and you know, we have these moments of, hey, you need to clean your room, you know, here's a, okay, you walk by the room, it's not clean yet. Well, ever since my oldest has been young, was young, he always wanted, um, I know this, (laughs) when he would have his room clean, he always wanted us to kind of help him out. So even now when we have a, a laundry basket, you know, we, if we set the laundry basket in the room, chances are it probably won't be unloaded, but you know, we'll just kind of check every now and then. And um, I'll go by and I'll go to his room and he still gives me that look of like, hey, will you kind of, will you kind of come, will you kind of help me clean this? <laughs> As if he can't, he's 14, he's bigger than me. He can clean it all, but he still wants what? He wants my hands in it. There's a very different thing for him with me walking by saying, hey, have you cleaned your room? Setting the basket in, being around him, almost probably annoyingly so. If he was sitting here, he'd be like, stop being annoying. Clean your room, in bathroom, all these things. But for me to get in it with him, to actually have my hands taking his clothes and working to clean his room with him is a very different thing. See, for the Lord, it's not enough for you as a disciple, and especially for them, to say, hold on to these things, because you read right before that. There are going to be people that are going to want to take their lives, and they will, all of them. Is it up to their grip to hold on to what the good news of the gospel is by their own strength and power? Let's fast forward even to now where our lives aren't even in danger, but guess what is in our lives? Everything else is demanding of us. How strong is your grip when you're just kind of bored with Christianity? How strong is your grip when tomorrow comes and you're like, back to the grind of the week? Distraction. Even wanting to be present with people around you and yet your mind is running. I mean. How does this discipleship thing work if it's only up to your grip and just with? Jesus is saying it is better that I go because why? The ministry will begin within you and in places and in ways that you may not even want it to be. But that's where his hands have to go and need to go. And look, the Holy Spirit will also not only come when Jesus departs, but because Jesus leaves them. Notice what he says. He says, he will not go and not come unless I go. Now, this is a really important thing, that the Holy Spirit is not like a vacancy field. He's not like, okay, you're going to get B team coming up to fill in Jesus, you know, because we we think about Jesus a lot, right? The, The person we don't think a lot about is the Holy Spirit. 
And when we do, it seems very abstract, but he is a person. He is a part of the Trinity. There is the Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And his purpose isn't to fill a vacancy, but to complete Jesus' ministry. Let me, let me explain a little bit what's going on here. This episode of what's happening in this upper room discourse is happening what's called 50, about 51 days until the, what's called Pentecost would happen. And what that meant was, and that's what the word Pentecost means, 50. What that meant was is that the Holy Spirit would come down after Jesus had departed fill the disciples, and you can read about this in Acts chapter two, and they would begin speaking the good news of the gospel to people that had never heard it before. And in their language, and they would be transferred, they'd be brought to Jesus. But here's what it's celebrating. It's celebrating the Pentecost is actually an old thing. It's an Old Testament thing. It's actually celebrating when the Lord came down in a pillar of fire to give the word of God to Moses, the law, and it was celebrated from 50 days from Passover to what was called the harvest of the first fruits. So when Passover was happening, and that's what they were celebrating here, the Passover, even in the meal, that's what they were even celebrating in that moment when they were sitting at in the upper room was Passover, when that meal, that old meal that celebrated God bringing Israel out of Egypt as slaves, and 50 days later was called first fruits. And what would happen is you would bring your best fruits to God. You would say, this is the harvest. Guess what the new harvest was? It was the people of God being brought out. The new Pentecost, 50 days, was the Holy Spirit now bringing the fruit of the good news in and through his people that how many thousands of people would come to faith because this person had to be sent in order for that to happen, in order for the abundant work of God to happen, Jesus had to go. Guess what? Thousands of people didn't come to faith while Jesus was sitting there. It wasn't until he left and his spirit went that more and more and more came. Yes, there were hundreds converted by seeing him, his life, death, and resurrection, but what exploded it, how did it get to us today is not because of Jesus is still here physically. He's with his father physically, but because the Holy Spirit carried it forward and continues to now, and nothing can thwart that. So that's who came, but what does he do? What is his thing? Like, what does he do? <laughs> then nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, verse eight, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He will convict the world of these three things. And we're gonna unpack those a little bit as we walk. But the word convict, it means it means brought to light. It means whatever's in the darkness, it will be exposed. It's a word that can mean a lot of things, convict can. But what it really is getting at is to see things as they really are. And you and I know very well, when you see yourself or someone else 
or something else as it really is, what that can do to overwhelm you. This is the Holy Spirit's work. What does he do? One of my favorite movies <clears throat> is a movie called Goodwill Hunting. Uh, Watcher Beware. Uh, it, it, it can be a rough movie, but man, it's awesome. Not for the kids. It is an older person movie. Um, I'll just put it that way. You can lend me a pass. Uh, what I love about this movie is a man named Goodwill Hunting, Goodwill, um, not Goodwill, sorry, Will Hunting, who lives in Boston. He's Southie. He lives in uh, the, the harsher parts of Boston, who's, who's just grown up all his life going from foster family to foster family and, and struggle with being abused and, and gone through a really difficult period. He's also insanely intelligent. Uh, he can, he, you watch the movie and he reads books like this. He can grasp concepts, mathematics and such, and he, he gets into this world drawn in that he's discovered somehow and uh, by this mathematics professor he's brought in and still his trouble follows him. And so this professor connects him to a therapist and that therapist is Robin Williams and he won an Academy Award for this. One of the best scenes, is, is the best scene in my opinion, is... After months of working with Will and can't crack the code, he can't get into it. Uh, he will even sit there and count the minutes. There's a scene where Robin Williams' character, this therapist, is, they're sitting in this small college office of his. He's holding a file folder of Will's, just littered with his past, even photos of difficult things he's gone through. And Will looks at him and he knows what that file's about. And he goes, you, you got a history in this? And so empathetically and kindly, Robin Williams says, yeah, yeah, I do. And he goes, oh, okay. He sets the file down. He gets really close to him and he says, Will, I need you to know something. See this file? It's not your fault. And in the first moment, he says, oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I know, I know. He draws closer to him. He says, no, 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 son, I need you to understand something. It is not your fault. And Will Hunting's eyes, he kind of backs up like this, kind of like, yeah, okay. It's starting to feel how uncomfortable the moment is. And then he gets closer. So close that there's a little bit of a moment of like, Good Will Hunting, Matt Damon's character kind of moving away from him and he gets in his face and he says, it is not your fault. And in that moment, Matt Damon's character crushes. And he can't hold it in. He doesn't just cry. He weeps with heaving, heaving sobs on his arms. Because he's broken in. And as we unpack these things here in a moment, I want you to understand something about the Holy Spirit, what he does. What's similar and a little different about that. That file folder he holds, he's actually going to say, yeah, this is a file folder of yours and actually is your fault. But here's what's different. I'm not only going to get super close to you, I'm going to get closer to you and to what's in your file than you would ever want anyone to do in order for you to be changed in a way that you never have been. That conviction gets to the 
depths of you. So when he begins and he says, concerning sin in verse nine, because they do not believe in me, he begins with what even in Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit comes and people hear it, that they were called cut to the heart. Their hearts were cut deep because they recognized they don't believe in Jesus. And they don't see their sin. It's a simple question, actually. Do you know you need to be saved? Do you know you need salvation? You know that when we do membership, we just had a large class go through CPC 101, and they're going to have to review this question. And every time any of you in this room have done membership, the very first question that I ask you when I stand up here and is this, and I want you to hear it, listen, and you affirm this question. Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope, except through his sovereign mercy? All for everyone up here to say, I do. Do you know the weight of that question? All of you are like, I ain't joining this church. I mean, that's a powerful question, membership or not. What we're doing in that membership question is affirming what does the Holy Spirit convict of sin is to say, do you know you need salvation? When I was a kid, I remember sitting and hearing for the first time the good news of the gospel by a guy named Garth Jacks. Surprise, spoiler alert, he was a Dallas Cowboy linebacker. Um, And when I was a sixth grade kid and I sat there and listened to this guy, I will tell you, yes, I sat there hoping to be impressed by his resume, by who he was. And you know what he did? None of that. He pointed right back at us and said, how much he needs salvation. And I remember in that moment, God's Holy Spirit. Now, I've grown and there's no magic to this, but his hand gripping me in a way to say, I need God that I had never felt before that, and I can distinctly remember looking back at that. Do you know how much you need salvation? And you know what else the Holy Spirit does? (laughs) It's concerning righteousness because I go back to the Father, verse 10, and you will see me no longer. The longer I grow as a Christian from that moment when I became a Christian and decided to follow Jesus, I realized that one of my biggest struggles isn't so much that I don't need salvation, but do I need Jesus? Why does it say concerning righteousness? Because it's not on our own merit. One of the most profound things I think I've learned as I've grown over the course of my life as a Christian is that I'm not just being saved from my sin, but that the Holy Spirit is convicting me and showing my salvation from my own self-righteousness. Who is the one that goes to the Father? It is not us. Isn't that an interesting way that Jesus says this to the disciples? Concerning righteousness, how does he convict them? Because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. What a weird thing to say. He could have said it in a different way. Why does he say that? Because there is only one person who could go to the Father and stand as our advocate, as our merit, as our righteousness, that none of us have righteousness that can do that. 
We cannot hold that. And I remember, man, and this is fascinating. I remember as a campus minister meeting with a student who was actually of a different religion and sitting with him and talking about sin and man, we were on par. It was like he was getting every moment of it. And then after we said, man, I really need salvation and we started talking about here's where salvation comes from, Jesus. He said, now let me ask this, why do I need Jesus? Isn't that the question? How much do we go, yeah, I know my sin and I have it here and maybe for confession or whatever time I see it, I'm willing to confess it, talk about it, but most of the time, I'm gonna out nice everybody, out good everybody, outdo everybody. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is to convict you of both? Of your sin and your self-righteousness and to show you who is the one that goes to the Father. Who stands there for you? Who reveals that for you? It is through the Holy Spirit. And finally, he says, in concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus isn't trying to be cryptic. He's actually referring to Satan. And last week we talked about this. When he says the ruler of this world, world isn't like the globe. He's talking about the ruler of the systems that go, all the systems in order that go against God. There is someone behind it. There is a figure that is working at that. And guess what this figure wants to do? He wants to judge you. So the helper is an advocate for you. The helper convicts that one who says, no, you're really not worth it. You really, you really don't have God's love that much. And he convicts Satan himself. You know, the Pharisees have this moment where they, they and it's such an interesting passage in Mark 3. If you want to see where all this kind of comes together, Mark chapter 3, Jesus has this argument because the Pharisees look at Jesus and go, you're of Satan. I mean, you, you, you must have a demon or something. If you're able to do all this work, you gotta have something wrong with you. And he says, if I'm of Satan, how can I work against myself? That doesn't make sense. And then he tells this really interesting illustration about if I'm going to plunder the house of a strong man, how do I do that? The only way I can do that is if I bind the strong man and then plunder his house. And what Jesus was telling them was an illustration of, if there's the way for me to go into this world and to do that, the only way is to bind Satan himself so that the Holy Spirit can move forward. And that's what he was saying. The strong man is Satan. And by Jesus' death on the cross, he binds the strong man. So that the Holy Spirit can convict and work what? The, the beauty of application in his church. Because Jesus isn't here physically. How do we meet together, believe in him, and look at an ancient book together and trust and follow him until he returns again? Because the Holy Spirit goes with us. And no matter who comes in and out of the doors of the church, no matter whose lives are taken, martyred, as it says, the Holy Spirit will not fail in that work. He will carry it forward. 
And you know what the Holy Spirit does? And it's verses 12 through 15 really tell us what coming to this table is about. This one he says, <clears throat> that when the spirit of truth comes, verse 13, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare it to you, the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Do you know what the, the purpose, the sole role of the Holy Spirit is? Is to not magnify the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's role is to magnify who we are in Christ. It's to magnify his words. The Holy Spirit doesn't just speak things without it being attached to what Jesus has said. We can't take the Bible. If you want to know how the Bible becomes beautiful and effective, is because the Holy Spirit takes words that for many of us maybe drab history and says this is a part of the great redemptive plan that I'm doing. The Holy Spirit can never be removed from his word. And when you come to a table like this, the whole purpose of this table isn't that you come forward and you hope that the little cracker and the juice does something or you taste it and you're like, I remember Jesus. You know how he feeds you? He magnifies, he glorifies, the Holy Spirit does, Jesus through this meal, through what's called the means of grace. And what we've done, and I've said this before, and I want to encourage you, they are not in ends of grace. It doesn't end here. <laughs> That's why Bible, prayer, church, all these things get old, and we're like, eh, bored, because we've made them in ends. We're like, I've done all that. Where's the magic? You know what they're supposed to do? They're supposed to be a magnifying glass to glorify Jesus. That when you come to this table, you see him larger and larger and larger of your need and relationship to him. And the Holy Spirit transforms you by taking common things and feeding your insides in a way that you could never reach or do with his very hands so that you may be more and more like him and never, guess what, fall away, ever. Because his grip does not let go. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together.